Welcome to the show, Paul George in studio, talking all things Art of Living with Adam Conk. Paul. Adam, how's it going? It's great, man. It's Friday. It's the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter. Yes. And there's a summit in Rome that everybody's looking at. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a busy Catholic day. It is a busy Catholic day, which we'll get to that. But you, speaking of busy, you just zoomed in. We kind of moved the show back a little bit. You were in New Orleans. I was, the New a, Orleans. For a summit or a gathering or a conference. or a Yeah, I was at a wonderful gathering. It's kind of a nebulous thing, but we called it a symposium on purpose, which apparently the idea of a symposium back in the day was like you just got together and drank and ate together and discussed life. That's what it was. Right. But with some very interesting people from all over the country doing good work at different institutions of Catholic education, mostly... Uh, universities or institutes on universities and some high school, some homeschool people um, just discussing ideas where we are as a church in our mission to educate and how do we move forward. And it was named, it was the first annual Briel Symposium named after now deceased Dr. Don Briel, who just died about a year ago. He had a, a very aggressive diagnosis of leukemia actually, mm-hmm. but he spent decades um, consulting and establishing institutes of Catholic studies across the world, actually. Um, he was good friends with Pope Benedict XVI, for example. So Why not? That kind of guy. Why not be good friends with B16? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> right. Like he probably texted him on occasion. <laughs> <laughs> the German shepherd. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? So anyway, it was, it was named in his memory, and his son was actually at the conference, which was pretty neat. He's also an ac- academic in his own right, Dr. Matt Briel. He teaches up in Massachusetts. Gotcha. And so, um, anyway, yeah, great time, inspiring. I think there's a lot of hope in the church. We also are all very comfortable with acknowledging that we have a lot of problems, and it's okay to say it. Yeah, you know, so, absolutely. So everybody's okay with saying, here's where we're failing, here's the issues, yep. but how do we move on? Yeah, and that's the thing with, with problems or issues. You can't fix them or get better or move forward until you actually acknowledge them, right? Mm-hmm. You can look at what's wrong, what you're doing wrong. You can evaluate, uh, but you don't have to stay there. Uh, you can move forward, come up with new and fresh solutions and ideas and vision. You don't have to stay where you're at, right? Um, but the first part is just admitting, whether that be personally or corporately, you have to sort of admit our mistakes and our faults so that we can get better at what we're doing. Speaking of symposiums, I mean, that's interesting. Um, I'm part of a symposium coming up in May, May 4th, a leadership symposium for Christian leaders, and it's called Sold Out Leadership. Oh, Soul as an S O U L. Nice. Uh, and it's it's really incorporating the idea of spirituality and leadership. Like for for all of us who are in the world, like we're all called to be leaders, and we don't have to exit our spirituality outside of our leadership, outside of our work. How do we incorporate our spirituality into who we are and everything we do, including our work and leadership? And so the symposium is a discussion about that, you know, around tables and drinks and good speakers, around this idea of being a real Christian leader uh, in whatever um, situation or place God has put you, your family or your work or whatnot. So where's it at? Lots of cool things. It could be downtown Lafayette, Louisiana, Jefferson Street Pub. Uh, right on Saturday, May fourth in the morning, like nine to noon. Uh, it's gonna be great. So you could get that at um, uh, leadprofessionalsgroup.com. Look up sold out leadership 
on Eventbrite. But you know, I, I what what I love about this is that there's a, just a lot of good healthy discussions mm-hmm. that are happening uh, around people who are just desiring to 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 grow and be better, and whether it be you know in our spiritual life or academic life or the blend of the two um, within the church overall, there's a deep desire within the human person to live fully who God created us to be, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can only, I think we could really do that well when we're around other people, when rubbing elbows with the right people uh, who are helping us to get better. And so I'm sure you you left a symposium sharper, you know, in a sense, oh, yeah? Uh, yeah. figuratively, you know. Maybe even literally. But maybe even literally. So <laughs> that's great. Uh, so Adam, um, I think we got to get to a little segment here. Um, have you seen? What did you say? That is so interesting. Are you for real though? So I wish I wasn't for real. Uh, but do I look white? Do I look a little paleish today? Yeah, I know where you're going, and this is pretty bad. It's it's really bad, <laughs> and I need everyone to listen in. So let me just tell everybody sort of our usual rhythm of life on mm-hmm. a Friday. We mm-hmm. usually record on Friday mornings, and we, we get the show done. We get in, and it's fun. We have a blast. And then we usually, for the most part, go to lunch. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the usual routine. If I'm not out of town, if you're not out of town, if I'm not traveling – We'll record another time. But if we're in on a Friday, that's our routine, everyone. And then the show airs on the radio in Lafayette, and then it goes up on podcasts, and everyone else can listen. And then usually, you know, that's it. That's that's kind of our routine. Well, this all switched around today because you had a symposium you were driving back to, and I had some meetings. It worked out great. And so I went to lunch before the show. So we're recording on Friday afternoon instead of Friday morning. Mm-hmm. Post lunch, all right. I'm gonna get to it. Have you seen? So I go to lunch, and I get fajitas, chicken fajitas, which I love. Fajitas. If I go to a oh, Mex- they're delightful Mexican restaurant. I love fajitas. So I get fajitas, and I'm drinking this. Uh, I'm drinking it. I'm I'm like out of it right now. I'm eating this. And <laughs> You're I'm still halfway up. through, and I go th- through, and I'm shuffling through the beautiful bell peppers and onions, and then I I'm like, oh, there's a piece of steak. In my chicken fajitas, which I start to think, that's kind of a treat. <laughs> Do you ever get chicken fajitas or quesadilla and there's a piece of steak and you're like, this is a treat? It's never happened to me. Right. But I think I would think something like that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I go to look closely uh, at what's on my plate and in the fajita skillet, no lie, and here's a picture, is a roach. A big, huge, cooked cockroach in the fajita plate and if people who are listening are thinking i'm making this up or you're about to puke you should have been there (laughs) i was there about to eat the thing and literally like all of a sudden i started to get some like throat anxiety yeah stomach and uh it was bad so i'm post that i'm still a little like i might i mean this just happened i might barf like it's still kind of this just because I'm not sure if like I ate some legs mm-hmm. of it. Like I'm like really yeah. So so has that ever happened to you? Anything? No, like I that? don't think that's ever. happened You to hear me. horror stories like that, and you're like, yeah. oh yeah, whatever. This happened today, and I have a picture, and I don't, <laughs> I don't want to post it on social media because I, I just 
I don't want to shame people, but it literally was horrible. It was just this worst experience. And so I'm post that. Now they, they were like, well, you don't have to pay for your lunch. I'm like, would you have still made me pay? Like, (laughs) you know, is that, is that it? So if there could be something in your food that you would just totally like, be like, I'm never, ever, ever going to recover from that at this place. What would it be? I mean, that's a good one. The one you experienced. It doesn't get much worse. Um, but, you know, like uh, hair is a common one, I guess, but fingernails, I don't know. But, you know, it's yeah. it's interesting because when we, we're forgiving people, you know, and we all make mistakes, um, it, you know, and kind of give this some use. It will come out in a talk <laughs> at some point. <laughs> this is going to happen. Now, oh, I started yeah. thinking because I did read an article a couple of years ago about a guy who got an Arby's sandwich and found an end of a finger in there. That's right. You told me that. I remember that. And that, to me, is like really over the top. And I thought, oh, that I don't really know. But the, the roach really got me, man. And like, oh, yeah. Like, I'm not super grossed out by a lot of things. Maybe the Lord was fussing at you for, uh, for switching up the routine. Yeah. And fussing at me, too, but punishing you for it. Yeah. I, and I, I don't know. That it, it, yeah. So, anyway... That happened. It got me thinking, like all these things, like um, you know that that kind of we go unnoticed, like like it was in everything, you know. So it's like like if I wouldn't have noticed it, I would have eaten it, and I probably wouldn't have known the difference until later, or I don't maybe never at all. Like I, I really don't know. Um, but it it really got me thinking, you know, like. How many times, like, are things sort of disguised within something that looks really good Mm -hmm. and we don't notice it? And when we come back, (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk more about some meaning behind this. This It's Paul and Adam talking all things art of living. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show, Paul George, right here, right now, in studio with Adam Kong. Hey, hey. You think we have any listeners left? <laughs> they, they all left. This will forever, to infinity, be titled The Roach Show. Yeah. I mean, it's just it just is going to be. But you know, one of the things that we don't talk about much, and I want to bring up today, I want to get in discussion, and I want people, obviously, to get in this with us and listen in. And maybe one day we will have a call-in show. Is that we don't talk about um, spiritual warfare. We mm-hmm. don't talk about the devil. We don't talk about hell very much. I mean, w- we do r- really kind of live in this world of like, um, you know, almost like ah, God loves everyone, which He does, absolutely. And there's no consequences to our action. But not only that, there, there's no enemy behind the evil in the world. Like, it's just sort of 
bad things, but there's no there there's no conversation hardly anymore about the evil in the world, and that that evil actually has a name, a title, and a and a and a strategy. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. There's so many reasons for that, but I think one of them is a is a victory of the devil is that. Um, So our Lord spoke about the world only one way. However, Scripture talks about the world three ways, right? So one way is in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? Right. And in that, the, con- <clears throat> the context is that the world is basically the human family, the entire human family. So that God didn't send his son to die for like a rock, or the Grand Canyon. <laughs> right, yeah. Right, like he's talking about hum- human beings yeah. to redeem. Then uh, there is the sense of the cosmos world the scripture uses, that when they say the world, they mean like all created things. But that the only way that Jesus spoke about the world was that that attempt by human beings and by the devil to live apart from God. Yeah. So it's not a positive word when we say the world, or when Jesus said it. Now, we can mean it in a positive sense, because the world is good, for example. That's a true statement. That means that everything God created is good, right? Or it right. could mean that there's hope for the world. That does mean there's, every, there's hope for every human being. No one's without God's mercy. Right. But we, we, we can't lose sight of the fact that there is a distinction and a division between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Right. And the king, the ruler of the kingdom of this world, according to Jesus Christ, is Satan himself. Absolutely, and we got to put a name and a face to it, and and an idea and a strategy. And I think you know you bring up a good point in a sense of, you know, you talked about one of the devil's greatest strategies. You know, we can have different opinions; those opinions will will both be true. Mm-hmm. You know, in a sense of, I guess, opinions and what's priority. But I think I think one of the enemy's greatest strategies is to make us believe that he doesn't exist. Right. Right? Like, oh, there is no devil. There is no temptation. Uh, there is no enemy. Um, and, and then, therefore, if we just kind of live with the reality or thinking that the devil doesn't exist, he's, he's almost got the battle won in a sense yep. of, of just making us buy into mediocre, mediocre spirituality. Because if we know that the enemy exists, we're going to pursue God even greater, rely on God's grace even greater. If we don't think the enemy exists, then we just kind of coast through life, right? And we think, oh, you know, I don't really know. And you're like, how does this all tie into roach? Here's how it ties <laughs> into roach. Here's how it all comes back together. And we and I want to get into this conversation about strategy, right? Of the enemy, I think one of the enemy's greatest strategies, outside of making us believe that he doesn't exist, is disguising himself in ways that we don't recognize. Right. The enemy disguises his way in ways that we do not recognize. So on a fajita plate, right, <laughs> blending in with everything, right? Have you ever been fishing, Adam? Yeah. So one of the keys to fishing, like if you as a human. As a human, with your intellect, right, uh, your will, uh, were looked at a fishing lure, right? Would you eat it? No, no. Why? Because you you see it and you're like, oh, it's interesting. It's it's pretty, or it that you know kind of looks like a a minnow or a frog or whatever. But what do you see when you look at it? You see the see danger. You see danger. You yeah. see the hook, right? Yeah. 
Well, the fish doesn't. Like when you're fishing, the reason the fish bites the lure is because it's a lure. It's disguised as something that it it likes to eat, and yet underneath the skirt of the spinnerbait or inside the worm is a hook, mm-hmm. and the hook then snags the fish, and then you reel it in, and you're like, ha ha, you know, I outsmarted the fish. This is exactly one of the tactics of an enemy is that the enemy disguises things to where we don't notice the hook, Mm -hmm. right? Now, he's not going to use simple fishing lures for us because we do have a a mind, a will, an intellect, the ability to see things. Now, granted, uh, if we're not forming our mind and our heart, we... You know, people fall for really silly lures all the time. And you're like, how did they bite that? Well, they they just they're not sharpened in the spiritual life. As as you grow in the spiritual life, those those disguises get a lot, you know, more I guess you could say hidden. Yeah. Right? To the point where you're like, this is where true discernment comes in, you know, is this the Lord moving or or the enemy? So the enemy has the ability to disguise himself in ways that we don't recognize. And then underneath, hidden there, is this little hook, this little bait, and then we go for it. Yeah. I think at best, most of us would acknowledge that the devil is active in the world, but I think we need to remember he is the ruler of the world. That was the point I was getting at earlier. It's like, it's not just a matter of avoiding sin. It's also a matter of spreading the kingdom of God in the kingdom of darkness. So, for example, our Lord says, uh, we had at Mass today, Peter, you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against you. Right? Right. Now, yeah, the gates of the netherworld. Right. What's that? I mean, we're celebrating the chair of Peter, which Jesus proclaims to Peter that very idea. Yeah. And gates denotes defense, not attack. The implication of what Jesus said is that the church should go on the offensive and that the devil won't be able to stop them. Hmm. In other words, whenever we go after, when we spread the kingdom in the darkness, there's no way to stop it. The devil can't stop it. We should be engaged in the battle, moving forward, fighting forward. And we can't lose is what he's saying. The devil should be trying to keep up with us. Yep. Right? It's just like the story of the Israelites when they're leaving what? Egypt? Slavery? Which is what? Bondage? Which mm-hmm. is what? What the enemy wants us to be in slavery and bondage to our sin? I mean, this whole imagery. And so they're going out and God parts the Red Sea. But what does it say? It says the enemy was following them. The Pharaoh decided, but the Pharaoh was behind them, enticing mm-hmm. them. It says wanted them to go back into slavery. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and, the scripture tells us that if if they would have known what was ahead of them, they would have turned back and gone back into slavery. But but, yeah. but God God provided a way, so they were moving forward. Is what you're saying, fighting the back, moving forward, and but the enemy was behind, not ahead of them. Right. And the thing is, the promise is not that the gates of the church will not be penetrated. And obviously, we see in today's church the devil is active. Okay, but we can't forget this. Like. Like you were talking about uh, the disguises that the devil will use to tempt us. This is not because something's wrong. This is because this is what the Lord promises us. Like the devil will be around us, right. tempting us, right. trying to bring down what we're doing. And he will succeed in some occasions, like he's done with the sex abuse 
of the church, the epidemic throughout the world, like he's done with the failure in leadership throughout the church, like he's done in families who are, you know, absent dads and, and mom and dad are fighting. Like the devil can get into the church and tempt us and we will fall. The promise Jesus gave is that if we are committed to the kingdom of God and fighting against him, he can't win. Absolutely. I think, I think the, you know, oftentimes, like, I think the proof of God, particularly for people who are struggling with the existence of God, and, you know, they're, they're struggling with maybe atheism or an agnostic or whatever, almost the proof of God is, is the reality that evil exists, like the proof that the, that the devil is real, mm-hmm. in a sense, proves that God is real. And what I mean by that is that you don't have to look far into the world around you to see evil, yeah, to see the enemy at work, and it, I think it's important to name it and call it and claim it. But it's also important to know that in Christ we don't need to be afraid of that. It's not like we have to live with this constant conscience of like, you know, the devil is after me. You know, it's like over obsessed about it. Mm. The devil has no power over us in Christ. The power of Christ and His grace has defeated the enemy. Right. You know, we already live in victory. But if we don't live claiming that and live in the grace of Christ, we will, for lack of better words, get our butt kicked. Yep. You know, and and it could be in small ways that gradually lead into a big way or just continuous small little jabs that constantly wear us out over time. It could be hidden in stress and worry and anxiety. It doesn't have to be this major sin of, you know, adultery or pornography or, you know, stealing, although that could be the case. Uh, it could be in all these little emotional ways, these anger and resentment and unforgiveness just constant. It could be, like I said, an anxiety and worry and fear and in doubt. Like, you know, constantly having conversations with people who are so anxious and stressed, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we live in a world where one of the battles that the enemy is winning is the battle of anxiety. Yep. The battle of worry. The battle, basically, of not trusting in God, that God will not provide for us. Yeah. St. Teresa of Avila used to talk about how a bird could be tied down by a large rope or a cable to his feet or by a little string, but either way he's tied down. Hmm. And this is what you're talking about. Like, yeah, there's the big sins, there's the mortal sins, but that's not the only way the devil wins. And in fact, in the church today, we could all be challenged to say, what are those little things that you let go on in your life, those little sins that you're not serious about? And how is that keeping you from being the church we need to be today and providing the renewal and the witness? Because maybe you're not a horrible person, maybe you're not a horrible sinner, or you don't see yourself that way. But if the devil has any influence in my life, that means I'm not spreading the kingdom of God the way I could be. You know? And so... um, you're right. I think the the promises of God are attached to the church, but the church is a mission. The church doesn't just have a mission. The church is a mission. So if I am on mission, then I have nothing to fear from the devil, and I will encounter the devil in people's lives, but to set them free from it. And this was Jesus' experience of the devil. Of course, he was tempted in the desert, right? Right. But when he was in on mission, when he got out there, he encountered the devil a lot to set people free from them, and that's the promise. The devil couldn't resist Jesus. Absolutely. Couldn't keep him. And I think what's, what's important to note 
and particularly as you know we're in this season where here it's almost Mardi Gras, which mm-hmm. obviously means Lent's coming. Uh, and what, what we see at the beginning of Lent and, and, and the readings and, and in the whole idea of Jesus' ministry is that he's tempted by the devil in the desert before he goes into ministry. Yeah. But here's what's important to note. It wasn't just sort of like Jesus stumbled upon the devil and was like, oh, who are you? Mm-hmm. God allowed the temptation to happen. Yeah. God, God allowed Jesus to be face-to-face with evil. God allowed Jesus to say no to evil. Why? Uh, because we would be face-to-face with evil. Why? Because we would need to learn how to say no to evil. Why? Because we would be tempted uh, to to be attracted to what... What the devil offered Jesus was some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. So it wasn't like the devil was offering Jesus, you like, hey, do you want to eat a roach? <laughs> or do you want a nice loaf of bread? Right? Like, like that is like, well, of course I want bread. Like, he was offering him uh, kingdoms. Mm-hmm. And rain and power and money to be known. Like, think about what that feels like. It's like as mm-hmm. I'm saying that, it's like, whoa, right? And Jesus is able to say no. Why? To teach us not only how to say no, but to show us that through the power of God that you can say no. And the the temptation of the devil in Christ actually sharpens us to fight the battle even more. Right, right. Right? Yeah, I remember uh, St. Irenaeus would say... Uh... If you find yourself being tempted in thought, pray twice as much and the devil will leave you alone eventually. So in other words, if you fighting the temptations or the distractions the devil will throw, if if we can it sharpens us, mm-hmm. right? And if we really don't want to have them often, really take the occasion and it, sometimes I take him at his word, but if I if I have a tempting thought or idea, I'm like, let me pray like right now. Right. Twice as much as I would, the devil will leave us alone. Man. Absolutely. <laughs> You know, because God has power over the devil, we don't. Yeah. But we have God on our side. He doesn't. <laughs> you, mm-hmm. you see what I'm saying? So so I could be tempted or have a thought or whatever. It's like, no, Jesus, you take care of this. You know, I often had, uh, uh, you know, a priest friend say, just laugh in the face of the devil. Like, he has no power over you, right? Like, like it's almost funny to, to God how, how, how small his power is compared to God, right? Yeah. To, you know, yet, yet he... He wins a lot of battles in the world because people aren't relying on uh, the power of Christ, the grace of Christ, to work through them. So it's nothing we live in fear from, but you know, it's definitely something that that is here and is real. And as as we're talking about in this feast of the chair of Peter, you know, the, the devil's tactics, like you said, can creep into the church. Mm-hmm. You know, the church is human. The church is also protected by the power of God, but yet. Humans have have fallen, and we we have seen the enemy do some work within the church. Lots of it, you know. And even when Jesus was around, it's not just because things are so bad right now. I mean, no. I mean, you look at all the of scripture history. says the devil entered Judas. Yeah, on Holy Thursday, like yeah. that's the phrasing. Not like Judas had a bad day and made a bad decision. You know what I mean? Right. The devil entered him, and so. It has always been the case that the devil is, in a sense, a part of the church, like a part of our history, not a, not like a member of the church, but on our pilgrim journey to heaven, the devil is going to be active in everything we do, and he will be able to get to the inner circles, even the 12 apostles, till the end of time. Right. Yeah. There's nothing wrong in the sense of this is according to God's plan. 
And so we shouldn't be freaked out by it or scared by it, but rely on the promise of God that as long as we are working against that influence and we're seeking to spread the kingdom, then we have nothing to fear. Right. And this is why I think within the church, if we want to talk about that, it's time, it's the time in history right now where not only us as individuals, as families, as disciples, but as the church, the church itself needs to be on the offensive. Yep. Like we need a strategy to not sit back and live in mediocrity, not sit back and be like, oh, people are just going to show up at our doorsteps. Like this is a time in a church where we should be facing the evils with action and moving forward with a vision. And nothing more disappoints me right now is the fact that the church in a lot of ways is just kind of sitting back, letting the enemy punch over and over instead of like fighting back and pushing through and say, no, 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 you get behind us because we're moving forward and we got vision on how we want to love people and reach people and teach people and move people and help people and love people. That's the church that needs to be in action right now. That's the church that, that God wanted. You know, this is, the church has always had its struggles and evils because it's human. But if you look at the chair of Peter from the very beginning of history of the church, it was missional from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. The disciples were sent out into the world to share the good news. None of us can and the deny devil that. Couldn't stop them. And the devil couldn't stop it. So people in droves were coming to know Christ and being baptized under the authority of the apostles and the people who were preaching and teaching. But they weren't. They eventually got out of the upper room mm-hmm. where, where the enemy had them locked in there in fear. You know, they were in the room in fear. Eventually they got out of there. How? The power of the Holy Spirit. The power of God was like, you got to go. <laughs> you could sit here your whole life or you can go. And, and, and the power of God prompted them to go. And that, that's what we need to be doing with our life. And the church needs to be doing. And the thing about the devil is he's so clever, right? So... You have this horrible sin of, of sexual abuse of minors and young boys, and now nuns. I don't know if you saw this, mm-hmm. these reports coming out about this apparently another layer of the problem where uh, men are, are raping and abusing women who are in religious life. And it's disgusting, right? So he'll use the anger that this generates to further destroy the church. We should be angry about it, but anger that leads to um, demanding reform and fixing it, mm-hmm. not to dividing ourselves and beginning to hate each other, which can also happen. See, the devil's using, like, how do you get to good Catholics? This is one way. Get a few people, like priests and, and others, to do horrible things. Then you get a few other people to not handle it well in the church. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you've got a whole bunch of great Catholics who are thinking, Maybe I should leave, or maybe I should... You know what I'm saying? Yep. And they're, they're trying to figure out how to not lose their soul, but they need to do something. And it's a church in chaos, in a sense. But out of that same kind of church have arisen our greatest leaders, people like St. Francis of Assisi, hmm. people like St. Ignatius of Loyola, people like John Paul II. I mean, the chaos of the Cold War and, and, and everything. You know, Absolutely. Like, this is where all of us are called to flex our leadership muscles within the church. But what does a leader do? He brings people together. She brings people together in the mission of Christ. Amen. So, so I want to, I want to bring up a major point here and it's this, you know, we talked about ways that the enemy works and his tactics. And I'm gonna give you one word. It's a major thing that the enemy does and he can use it and do it 
within marriages, within families, within friendships, and and within the church. And it's one word. Do you want to guess or you want me to give it to you? No, you give it. Division. Division. There it is. The enemy divides and conquers. That, that I mean, you want to know what the enemy does? Mm-hmm. The enemy divides and then conquers, right? So he's not going to conquer a church that's united. He can't. He can't. He's not going to conquer a marriage that's united. Can't. He's not going to conquer friendship that's united. And what the enemy does is divide and conquer. And if you want to see the enemy work or kind of recognize where the enemy is working, is dividing and conquer. And he's doing that within marriages, within you know friendships, relationships, parents and kids, um, and within the church. And you see a division in the church. You see everybody's in their corner on theology. Everybody's in their corner on spirituality. Everybody's in their corner on who's to blame. And the enemy has won the battle because he's dividing all, all these people, right? Mm-hmm. And you're right. When God begins to work, he brings unity. He brings people together, even though they're different. And if we want to look at the history of the church and Acts, what had happened at the beginning of the church? We're talking about the chair of Peter, the authority of Peter. Peter and Paul were arguing. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. They're arguing about approach, about systems and processes, and about strategy and theology. They're arguing. They're they're going at it. But what happened? They came together and they talked it out, right? Yeah. You could be different and not divided. Absolutely. You could be different and not divided. You can express theology in a different way that's still you know in unity with the church express your spirituality, your song, whatever and but you don't you could be different and not divided. What's happened is our differences are causing us to be divided and the enemy is winning. Yes. And what do we mean by winning? It's not that he's stopping the church. No. Cuz you can't. It's not that he won. But what he is doing is he's making us ineffective in our mission. Amen. The church will always exist. He's hindering the mission. And we're always going to have saints. There are canonizable saints alive today. We might not know where they are, but in every age, God is faithful. He raises up saints. He raises up those who will carry the banner of the church as she really is till he comes back again. That doesn't mean we're going to be effective in our mission as a church from every age. And there have been ages where we were not at all. And so the devil can't win ultimately, but he can win temporarily in that we can simply exist as a church without being effective as a church. And, you know, and that's not everywhere today. There are lots of effective places the church is growing like crazy. No, absolutely, there are. And and there's a sense of unity, right? There's a sense of unity so there. So if, if your marriage is, is struggling right now, I'll guarantee you you have some division in your marriage. Yep. There's some conflict. There's, no, there's some lack of resolution. There's division. The enemy's, the enemy's got you. Uh, maybe it's in work or in relationships or with one of your your children. There's division there. there there's a lack of resolute and real unity. And in the church, it's the same way. And we got to get to the point where we're big enough, mature enough to have the conversation with the people we're divided with to bring unity, mm-hmm. right? Whether it be in our marriages, our home, our work, our friendships, our parenting, or in the church. A real sense of of unity, even though we might be different, mm-hmm. you can still have unity, and this is the beauty of marriage. There's two different sexes, you know, mm-hmm. man and woman, different 
but complementary, right? Do things differently, but you don't have to be divided. You don't have to be against each other. You can be unified. All right. Yeah. This is this is great, man. We I we're on to something. You got me fired up. <laughs> and the devil tried to use a roach. I'm coming back at him. <laughs> Paul and Adam will be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Paul and Adam here talking Art of Living. Man, great discussion. I'm fired up, dude. Let's go get that devil. Let's go get him. Holla at your boy. <laughs> I still feel like I have a roach leg. Oh, gosh. Roach leg stuck in my throat. What did you eat? You're going to get phone calls from people to see where this place is. And I'm having a hard time just not coming out and saying it. Yeah, you shouldn't do that. But um, but, but if someone happens to know you about it. and they texted you, hey, what was the place you are talking about? Yeah. You'd probably tell them? If it was a friend. Yeah. I would I would warn them. Um, all right. So anyway, I think this show requires one thing and one thing only. Way to wash down that roach with a six-pack of questions. <laughs> Let's do that six-pack of questions. All right. So Question. we're going to go back and forth today on the six-pack. Like ping pong. Boom, boom. Do you want to go first? Yeah. So question number one. <laughs> um Okay, so we talked a good bit about the devil today, and in your experience, especially with younger people, do people, is there a sense that the devil is important in the sense of like something I actually should be thinking about? It seems to me that, I don't know, it doesn't seem like he's talked about enough in general maybe, but especially among young people, who tend to not want to think of negative things and the devil's just kind of a negative thing and a downer. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, am I overthinking this or is this actually true? Well, I think there's a couple of things. One, I think often, sometimes we can over-spiritualize spiritual attack and be like, oh, it's the devil making me do it. And you're like, mm-hmm. well, no, well, you, yeah, but you could actually say no. You know, you can actually do something about it, right? So stop blaming, basically stop blaming someone else for your issues. Maybe the devil tempted you, but now you have a choice on what to do, get better, get counseling, get over it, stop doing it. You see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. not, but to answer your question and loop back around to like young people, I think really ultimately like young people struggle with relativism, mm-hmm. which is this absence of, of real truth, right? So they'll believe in a God, a God of love, because it feels good, and, and they can even come around even the intellectual um, study of that. But they can't always understand the reality of evil, the enemy, temptation, uh, because sin feels good, right? Uh, yeah. And it looks good. And so why could it be wrong? So so they pick and choose what is absolute truth and what is not. It's what we call relativism. So in a sense, like the, I think a lot of times that's what you see with 
with young people. Mm. You know, every, every, God's love loves everyone. Everyone's going to heaven. It doesn't matter what you do, right? Because your truth is your truth and mine's mine. And who am I to tell you any different? Bummer. Boom. All right, so um, so you're pretty, uh, next question, question number two. You're pretty privy on feast days and church calendar. And <laughs> you're a calendar geek. <laughs> you're usually schooling me on that in a good way. And okay, so we're here. We talked about the church, uh, the church celebrating the chair of Peter. What is significant about the feast, the chair of Peter, and how does it relate to the topic that we're talking about today? So the chair is a symbol of authority and specifically teaching authority and governance. So think of like the throne of the king. But back in the day when you had a a teacher teaching adults or disciples, let's say, let's, let's talk about like Aristotle or Plato. They sat down and everybody else stood up around them. And today it's the opposite. Teachers will stand in front of a class who's sitting. But back in the day, it was a sign of authority and respect that the one who is teaching sat and then everyone else stood around them, right? Mm. Um, it's also, again, that, that royal authority symbol, the throne, you know, sitting in, in authority over a, a people or a land. And so we say the chair of Peter not because Christ himself said that. In fact, the only image he used for Peter was obviously changed the name to rock, rock. gave him the keys to the kingdom, which mm. is symbolic of, um, it harkens back to the Old Testament, David's prime minister or the king of Israel's prime minister had the keys to the kingdom. So he's saying how Jesus is the new David, but Peter is the new prime minister of the kingdom who can bind and loose, open and close, uh, just like in the Old Testament. So the chair we celebrate is a symbol of the office, because obviously once Peter died, that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone who followed him would have the same authority he did. And this is where, you know, in non-Catholic conversations, issues with the Pope come up. It's like, all right, so Peter had this special role. That seems clear in, in Scripture. Mm-hmm. But who's, who's to say that once he died, anyone else had that role? Right. Like, he just had that during that time. Well, the early church quickly replaced Peter, and symbolically, someone else sat in the chair. And so even now, someone sits in the chair. Now, in Rome, there's a beautiful statue. You've been there. Yep. Of uh, St. Peter's chair. I don't think the Pope actually sits in it, though. No. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's awesome. Yeah. So um, we celebrate the office that Christ established to be a source of unity for the church. We're talking about earlier unity. And to uh, pass it down until he comes again. That mm-hmm. We will have a Pope in this chair until Jesus comes again. Boom. So, I love it. Question number three. And that authority. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about God being the ultimate authority. But the authority of the church can protect us from the enemy, the sacraments. Absolutely. You know, uh, and that's what we need to know. Like, we're, we fall under this authority of the church, not because it's it's just a, a teaching component of the truth, but mm. because it, it's, 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 God's, it's God's arms around his people. It's God's authority using the church to protect us, right? Yeah. To protect us and to give us, you know, if I went to battle without ammunition— or if I wasn't sure that my gun was going to work, it would yeah. be a better analogy. Like, some of them work, some of them don't. I'm fighting a losing battle. But yeah. we have the confidence of the truth, that we have the truth, so we can go out into the darkness and promote the kingdom, because we're not wondering, well, what is the truth? Right. Because Christ himself gave us the truth, but also established an authority to guard that truth for 2,000 years now. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so we know what the truth is, and we just need to spread it. Yep. You know? Yep. All right, question number three. Three. Number three, Adam. Numero three So we talked about the devil a bit, but I want to ask you about the devil. Um, what's his story? Like, how, how did... How did we come? How did this being come to be who he is? You know, it's such an interesting story, Adam. And I, I don't always, honestly, um, know how how to read it or interpret it. You know, like I know it, and you know, there are people who who really are theologians around this and angelologists, and you know, all you know, really kind of understand. But the, you know, the devil is a fallen angel, mm-hmm. and uh, one who from the very beginning rebelled against God's authority and truth and said, you know, I basically I do my own thing, right? And this is exactly what he does in tempting Adam and Eve and saying, no, 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 God doesn't have authority and truth. You can have, well, he does, but you can have the same, right? And he, he tempts Adam and Eve to basically steal from God, right? To to try to steal that 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 truth and that wisdom, you know, from the tree. Uh, and they do. They they bit the hook. The bait was was so nice and beautiful that they did. And we all have. We've all been tempted, and we've all failed. And and Scripture tells us we're we're imperfect. We've all fallen short of the glory of God in sin. Romans three twenty three. Uh, we we know this about ourselves. So, so none of us can point fingers. But the devil, to get back to to answering your question, um, is a fallen angel, and and but is but is um, eternal. Like it lives. Like the, there's no. There's no, I don't know, you know, when it will ever end, but he, you know, he's not human. You mm-hmm. know, he's, a, he's an angel that, that has, you know, a following. People, angels went with him. They followed him because they thought, oh, God doesn't have, uh, or we can have what God has, you know? And that's ultimately our fallen state of sin is, I don't want to trust in God. I want to do my own thing. I want what God has. And that, what ends up happening is that's sin. We live life separated from God, living on our own accord and on our own strength and our own wisdom, and that's when we fall short. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. All right, so uh, question uh, number four. Uh, We've talked about different tactics of the enemy um, and different ways, but uh, I know you see it as well, working and, and doing all the things you do. Where do you see the enemy work a lot within families? Um, and, and how can, can people kind of, kind of move past that to be on the offensive in Mm -hmm. the mission of their family? Well, remember that the devil's not God. And I think that's important to remember. He does not, he's not all powerful. That's what I'm saying. And so you mentioned he's a fallen angel. Angels can influence thoughts and feelings Mm. because they're, there's a dimension to them of, of matter, of bodies and angels can manipulate matter because they're more powerful than matter, right? So, for example, when you have angels appearing to Mary, like Gabriel appearing to Mary, he didn't have a body, but he appeared to have a body. He was manipulating the matter around him, or however he appeared. I don't know what he looked like, but he was appearing through the matter in the room, manipulating it like he wanted. Angels are very powerful beings, and they can influence thoughts They're more powerful than humans. Way more powerful than humans. In fact, the only limit to their power is the one that God set. Right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's true of us too, but spiritually speaking, they're spiritual beings. But what you're saying, and, and I think this is a point that people need to hear, if you go to fight the devil directly, you will lose. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this is what we're talking about. He's more powerful than we are. 
You go fight the devil with Jesus, the power of God. You ain't got nothing to worry about. Right, he can't win. He can't win. He can't win. The authority of Christ, right? Well, and, and ba- because of their manipulation of matter, they can also possess people, which is why that's possible. You know, they can actually take over a mind and body because these they have physical elements. But it, most marriages aren't struggling for possession. Right. Most of them. <laughs> right. But what they do struggle with is especially in, in cases that that eat at our pride or our weaknesses, we have negative thoughts about our spouse mm. and feelings of resentment that don't... Now, this is not always the devil, but it can be the devil in that, like I've noticed, the devil tried to every once in a while throw in a new area of anger with my wife or resentment or a thought that I don't normally have, and I'm realizing, where did that come from? Right. And maybe you've been there, but it's like... Yep. You know, I'm, I'm thinking like, man, my wife is selfish or she... Wait, right. what? Yeah. <laughs> I never think that. I never think that. That could very well be the devil himself implanting this new thought, trying to tempt me. And the thing is, if I buy into it once, just like Adam and Eve, then it can create a snowball effect or resentment. Right. So me and my spouse, like I, she's going to do something she always does. But for some reason, I feel resentful about it today. And instead of talking it out, and that's the one thing, you know, about the enemy is... Uh, scripture talks about bringing things into the light, which we, we didn't mention, so I'm glad it's coming up, is mm-hmm. any anything that's hidden in darkness will stay in darkness, right. Scripture says. But if you bring it into the light, it's in the light. So any temptation within your marriage, any resentment, any lack of, you bring it into the light, and you you talk about it, bring resolution, the enemy's like, oh, I have no room to work. Right. Right? They're, they're united. It's in the light. Well, the thing is, all he can do is put the lure. So in other words, That's he it. can't get into our hearts and our souls and our minds and destroy everything. So if 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 I have this feeling of resentment that's like brand new today and I say to my wife, you know, I don't know why, but what you just did, like I feel really irritated. Right. I'm talking about it. It'll diffuse itself. Right. And then you bring some resolution. Yeah. So watch out, spouses. Boom. Because your, your thoughts about each other and your feelings about each other, the devil can throw in little things every now and then to, to get you. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Question number five. Yep. And so a little caveat here is that since we're doing a six pack of questions, I looked it up. Uh, Roaches have six legs. (laughs) They have six legs, Adam. What are the odds? (laughs) So we're doing a six pack of roach legs. Oh my gosh. You think you're going to get letters about today's show? People are laughing right now. I hope so. Um, Question five. I hope this restaurant gets letters. Um, (laughs) Question number five. So my question to you is, if I'm in a relationship, let's say, uh, with a friend, not even with a spouse, all right, with a friend, but I find that I find it easier to sin around them, is it automatic I should give up that relationship? Does the devil just have total hold of it? <laughs> or is it, I'll give you, I'll give an example, yeah, like no, gossip. Yeah. Let's say when I'm around this certain person, I just find it really hard to not gossip. Right. Maybe it's just our culture or whatever. Uh, how do I either save that friendship from that or, or should I just move on? I think there's two things I want to say about that quick um, is this is one is if you're surrounded by people or friends that don't make you better and holier, they're probably not good friendships. Okay. Now I'll say another thing about that before you end the friendship, this may be a good friendship that's just stuck. It's stuck in a rut. It's stuck in a pattern. It's like every time I get with this person, I'm negative or we gossip or we laugh about things that are inappropriate, or mm-hmm. you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, but the friendship has potential to be much better. 
I know that because we've had better. We're just stuck, right? So you have to be conscious to just talk it out with that person. Be like, hey, look, we have a great friends. We've been friends for years. I, I know we got more density to our friendship. Um, when we're together, let's try to be less negative. Let's let's try to encourage each other. Let's try not to gossip. I, I feel like every time we're together, we're and that person will probably be like, you know what, you're right. When we get together, we do gossip. Because if you're good enough friends, you can talk that out, you know. So if then the relationship doesn't take a turn, then I'd say it's probably not good for you. But give it a chance. But you got you to gotta go hard to the paint with it. Hard to the paint. Yeah. All right. So question number six of our six-pack of legs today <laughs> is this is uh, – all right, spiritual warfare. Um, what is just a, a great offensive strategy for it? What, what's a good – a good prayer people can use to just be on the offensive and not like be worried about it. So as, as you know, in our faith, what, what, what's good to do? Well, the St. Michael prayer obviously was composed for that very reason um, by Pope Leo the 13th, because he saw in the 20th century that, you know, through a vision that the devil would have certain freedom. The vision he saw was that the devil would be unchained for a hundred years in the 20th century. And this vision, this uh, conviction that the devil would be much more active in the church caused him to ask that we pray the St. Michael prayer throughout the church after every low mass. Um, and so there's still a tradition today of, of praying the St. Michael prayer after mass. And that's where that comes from. And yeah, praying that prayer because St. Michael is the one God uses to supplant the devil and ultimately will at the end of time separate the wheat from the from the weeds in that the devil will no longer be part of the church's history well future the devil will always be part of the church's history but not the future um so the saint michael prayer for sure but as far as if i'm worried about it or obsessing about it this is very important if i am i need to get some help quickly because i'll take saint john vianney as a great example or padre pio but saint john vianney St. John Vianney knew the devil, had many run-ins with the devil. The devil literally beat him up, like threw him around the room. Devil lit his bed on fire more than once. <laughs> okay, so it's not like St. John Vianney did not have his run-ins, but people knew him as a joyful soul who had great hope in God. Padre Pio, same thing. I mean, Padre Pio, many, 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 many run-ins with possessed people or, you know, but he would say things like, pray, hope, and don't worry, hmm. right? So if, if I feel like I have no peace and I'm worried because the devil's around, I need to get some help immediately from a, a priest or maybe even a counselor right. to help me sort through this, a Christian counselor to help me sort through like, okay, there's evil in the world, there's bad stuff all around, but I'm not a slave to it and like I, I can still have hope right. because the thought process of fear, especially about the devil, is he's got you. Right. <laughs> like yeah, if you're would, afraid of him, totally. he's got you. And I would just encourage people, like, just pray the St. Michael prayer as husband and wife, as a mm -hmm. family, daily. Just, you know, it's really good. Just pray it. Protect yourself, the precious blood of Jesus and it, and the authority of Christ and the church. And don't live in fear. Yeah. You know, we have nothing to be a fear, afraid of in Christ. Yep. But but I would add, too, that as a family and as as spouses— is you got to be talking about the will of God for your life, mm. especially in a mission way, 
What is God asking you to do? Because that is where God's promises are. When we're doing his will, right? He said, Amen not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen to that. Right? He says, but those who do the will of my heavenly Father. If we aren't following his will, we're living outside of that protection and those promises. Boom. Love it. Man, great conversation today. We're going to have to do a whole series on this maybe. Probably made the devil mad. (laughs) The devil made me do it. (laughs) He's going to light your bed on fire tonight. Yeah, well, he tried to put a roach in my dinner, (laughs) and I'm coming after him. That's your Vianney story right there. Yeah, right there. (laughs) Anyway, great show. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Share the show on the podcast, and uh, you can help support the show. Discovertheartofliving.com. Find the show on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, all over the place. So anyway, man, uh, great show, and thanks, everyone. Talk to you next week. God bless.